And once again this week, we're mostly black. So uh, talking to one of the movie-watching people that I have met uh, through strangers on the internet at a bar because that's always a safe way for women to meet people, right? So that's 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 not the story you want to tell people. <laughs> like, please don't tell that story to people and have them be wondering things about me, right? At least make it sound a little bit more normal. Like, let that be the third thing you tell them. Okay. All right. So what what's the first thing I should tell them? Your name? You tell them your name. Hey, I'm Andrew. <laughs> All right. And Andrew, you watch a lot of movies, or you just meet strange people at bars through the internet? Um. I guess I do both sometimes. <laughs> um, watch too many movies, play too many games, write too much code, and uh, typically end up at the bar with strangers. There we go. <laughs> so, yeah, I like that you moved it down in the list in your hierarchy of activities. That's good. That's good. And why are you doing this? I know I just asked you and you said yes. <laughs> it was consent was given. Like, I don't have him tied up anymore. <clears throat> Um, I'm doing it because I love talking about movies to people who love talking about movies. And I, I generally enjoy conversation um, like a human being should. There we I go. Think. Yeah. <laughs> and we don't have to talk about movies if you don't want to. We could talk about something else. Yeah. But I don't know how your audience would feel about that. I mean, there there have been some tangents. There have been a couple of episodes that have been entirely tangents. So I think they're used to it by now, but we'll see if we stay even somewhat on topic of uh, current things going on in movies, uh, mostly Marvel trash. So if you come for the highbrow, I guess come back in September after I've seen some stuff at TIFF because there's none of that happening today. And uh, then once again, some Toronto International Film Festival prep for 2018. So that's what we're going to try to cover today, but, you know, we could go down a real rabbit hole of what video games you're playing and then never get back to any of this. So we'll see what happens. Oh, we'll see. I'll, I'll try my best. What video games are you playing right now? Um, right now I'm playing, as usual, a crap ton of Overwatch um, because I can't stop playing that video game. Um, I started playing the new Call of Duty and... I'm also, as usual, in the middle of, like, three Civilization Six files because I keep playing that game. <laughs> All right. Do you play with anyone when you play Overwatch? Um, I play with people, like, not with friends that I know because all of my friends don't play that game. <laughs> um, I play with people who, over time, I've met with randomly in the game and we play together a lot. Um, but, yeah. So you it don't, is a game you have to play with people, so right. it's either strangers or friends. So you don't ever play with your brother as the same type of character? No. Dress the my, same? My, my brothers, my friends, they do not play Overwatch. They do not like Overwatch. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't play online games with strangers. I feel like, again, much like meeting all of the... Uh, movie folk in Toronto uh, through the internet. I feel like I've done enough risky stuff with strangers through the internet. Like video games is like the last thing for me that I haven't done yet. I don't know. That's actually that's actually interesting because um, Overwatch specific, right? Um, they have had the game is like two years old now. They have had a huge um, as 
this really isn't an Overwatch problem. This is an internet problem, as you more than likely would know more than most. Um, they have a huge toxicity issue um, with the community, especially because a game where you play with strangers, you click play and five other people end up in your team. And not everyone is as good as the next guy, and you just kind of shout and some people shout and scream or are an assholes. Um, so they have that huge issue. And it's been something I've heard um, females talk a lot about where they're like, they don't turn on their mics in the game because they don't want anyone to know that they playing are female because it will just be worse. Um, God, I and- love 2018. It's like, <laughs> it's our best year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they recently released a new feature, like within the last two, three weeks, um, called Look for Group, where you can actually look for a group and enforce um, roles and things, which has made the gameplay a lot more habitable, as well as a system of endorsements. So like as you're playing, you're like, oh, I actually like this guy. He's a good person. I'll give him an endorsement and it increases a certain rank. And people on the internet have been responding to the features and have said it's become so much better for everyone. And to be honest, playing the game, I've heard a lot more women in the chat and people being nicer. And it's actually really interesting <laughs> as, as a way to deal with these sorts of issues. So talking about tangents and figuring out where we're going to talk about it was an interesting point. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, well, maybe I'll give it a try then. Yeah, it's good to know that at least some places are looking for workarounds at work and not just saying, well, you know, that's just the way things are. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the world's a trash fire. Let's let it burn. Colors are pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, I guess it was, was it a year ago or a couple years ago, a year and a half ago, Luke Cage came out on Netflix, and everyone was very excited. It did very well. People were very thirsty for uh, something that looked like that, and it allegedly broke the internet, or at least slowed things down on Netflix for a hot second. Um, When this season of Luke Cage came out, I feel... Happy and sad for them because it's not such a big deal anymore. So, yay. But then also they didn't get to have that. We did the best thing that black people have done this year because, unfortunately, Black Panther already happened. So it's like, yeah, that's great. So I haven't watched Black Panther yet. Part of it is I have been uh, watching a little bit more World Cup than I normally do just because I'm convinced that um, the... Results look suspiciously uh, fixed, but hey. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, we're not allowed to talk about Luke Cage anymore because you just said World Cup. (laughs) (laughs) What has brought you to think that the results are fixed? Is it how far Russia got? (laughs) Actually, my tinfoil hat, I put it on when Italy didn't make it, not because I'm Italian. I have Italian friends Like when the World Cup was starting. They're like, what do you mean? It's not happening this year. They've canceled it. So, first of all, just a whole bunch of people in denial and their reaction to it. Just like, I was like, oh, right. It's, it is weird that Italy didn't at least make it in. Even if all they did was bat the ball around, play strong defense and weak offense and get out early. But still, you know, like they normally at least make it in. 
And then it just seemed like really weird, like all of these upsets, all of these like teams that normally don't make it this far, making it far. Teams like the Netherlands not making it in, Germany getting out earlier than they normally do. It almost seems like the field is being cleared for someone else to win. And then when I, you know, thought, no, no, because, you know, they wouldn't fix things. They don't fix things. Then the whole uh, <laughs> the the Swedish team being woken up at you know butt crack o'clock in the morning by a fire alarm the day before their well day of probably I guess their game with England. It just I don't know if I was sort of a pelican brief type gal. I would think that this is a series of fixes on fixes on fixes. That's that's interesting because like I, I, I'm assuming you know that I've been watching as much World Cup as physically possible, um, and as someone who follows um, football religiously, it's always fun for me to hear all of these stories because like when Italy and Netherlands didn't get in, it was exciting for me. Yeah. It was a thing where I'm like, cool, we get two other teams that kind of get a shot. Right. Yeah. And we get, even though Mexico isn't an unknown team in the world of the World Cup, right? It was awesome to see them just stamp on Germany, kind of like the same way four years ago when everyone got to see Germany stamp Brazil seven one. Yeah. Right. It was a shock, surprise, amazing result that everyone was like, we never thought this would happen, and that's kind of what I love about the World Cup. You talk about the fire alarm. And those are the sorts of things that I've seen happening in club football repeatedly, um, which create this mythologized story. Um, like I think the most infamous one I can remember is the the food poisoning at Arsenal um, years back. Um, Arsenal goes to a team comes to Arsenal to play a match and everyone has their lunches together and half of the opposing team is suddenly sick with a stomach flu um, and people are like what's going on? This is the team that's supposed to supposed to get their diet right that's supposed to know everything about the, the engine of football and, and physical conditioning how did this happen and it became it becomes this big myth of like people with their pelican brief heads um kind of thinking like they must have done something um and it become the story becomes part of the sport the sport becomes part of the story and i personally never read too much into it as it relates to um intent or maliciousness um i mean Football is not without its its corruption over the world. Um, mentioning Italy, you don't have to look as far as Juventus within the last six years when they were actually kicked out of the top tier league for match fixing. Um, right? So I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying I'm one of those crazy kooky sports people who still believes until someone shows me that, yeah, we caught them. <laughs> um, and I'm like, yeah, sports is awesome. But yes, this World Cup has been awesome. And so far, my prediction is still right. I called France to win the World Cup from the beginning. Okay. Um, and right now I'm preparing, looking forward to a France-England final. Um, if only for France to win and England to go even more insane. Um, have you seen the videos that went online after the Sweden win? They invaded an Ikea? 
it is so insane and I do not of course endorse what those guys did because that is awful and ridiculous and just crazy whether thou meatballs like why right? why ikea ikea did nothing to you but give you sensible furniture that's impossible to put together like if you're right. gonna tear up an ikea tear it up because you ordered something and it came with like no allen keys i think it has to do with harry Maguire. yeah uh, did you, you saw that harry Maguire thing right no um, Harry Maguire, he's a defender for England. He plays for Leicester. Um, he actually scored the first goal in the England-Sweden game. Um, and after all of the matches over, some people, as we love to do on the internet, started trolling through his Twitter history. And they found a tweet from like two years ago in which he said something to the effect of, I just spent four hours putting together a lamp from Ikea. One day I will get my revenge in this life or the next on Sweden. And so everybody's having a good laugh. <laughs> <laughs> but he did. They uh, won the game. They didn't need to tear up a store. Yeah, that's because people are idiots and assholes. Yeah. And I can't, I can't stop. I can't, I can't defend them i just know they're assholes right yeah <laughs> they're too far for me to slap them and tell them stop being an asshole so what right? do you think they'll do if they lose to france oh if they lose to france they'll default to the usual england standard of starting to be like well we already knew our team wasn't good enough they they sucked we can't deal with like I will, my friend watching the first game, the first game of the World Cup for England, um, they went up one love like within the first five minutes and the commentators went wild. Right? They were like, oh my God, this is the England I've been waiting for. Harry Kane is a god. Right? We are doing great. I think it was like the 45th minute. Um, I think the first team we played was Tunisia. Um, they equalized. And immediately the commentators defaulted to, oh my God, we're going back to the same old England. We're going to draw out every match and we're going to be shit. And, you know, I knew this team couldn't do anything, right? And then the 95th minute of the match, they score the winner. And then the commentators pretty much just kind of ejaculated their pants on air, right? Just going crazy. And that's, that's, the, that's the level that England has been at. But knowing how England fans are, they're always one second away from dropping back to that default of being like, yeah, our team sucks. And we, we, we knew this would always happen, even though for the last three weeks they've been on a high. <laughs> it sounds exhausting. <laughs> it is. <laughs> that many mood swings? Like, I don't know. I feel like regardless of what happens when this is all over, if I was there... I would just want to curl up with, you know, a cup of tea or takeaway curry or whatever British people do to recover from something exhausting. It, like, it's going to be a long... For the, for the England national team, they haven't won this competition since the 60s. The last time they were in the final was 1986. And that final, they lost to Argentina with the infamous Maradona hand, hand of God goal. Right? They haven't seen a good football team in 30 years. Right? They don't know what it looks like anymore. Right? So they just lie to themselves every four years. We're the greatest team in the world to then go to the World Cup and get beat hands down in three games and go home. They've just been in a, in a, in a, in a stint of denial for the entire of my lifetime. Right? I don't know if they can um, take it if they win. I, I, 
actually, it's almost, it's probably safer for them if they lose. They might just. That's probably true. They might tear themselves apart. Especially for their economy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's really going to help those Brexit people double down. Like, yeah, we are the best. We don't need anyone else. Actually, I think that's going to go that way either way. Because if France wins, I think they'll want to lock out the rest of the Europe community even more. Yeah. Be a tough day to be French in uh, the UK day after that game. Either way. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm calling in sick. If I happen to be French. French and working in the UK that day. It's not safe. Probably. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I haven't been that involved in the World Cup. It just cut into my watching time, but you've seen at least half of Luke Cage. Yes, I have. We, we did say Luke Cage a while back, didn't we? Um, I have seen half of Luke Cage. No, that was an um, excellent tangent. I like that we immediately <laughs> demonstrated what I spoke about earlier. That's why I don't do long agendas, because I'm really bad at like staying on topic. And I was fully like into that story. So, yeah, Luke Cage... Should I watch it? I probably um, will. So the first question is, did you like the first season? I love the first half of the first season. The back half of the first season was uneven, and I didn't enjoy it as much. Uh, I think the character building and the basic story and even some of the like the smaller, uh, more hand-to-hand combat-based uh, set pieces from the first half of the first season versus some of the bigger, flashier stuff in the back half of the first season. I I just like the first half of the first season way more. But I recently rewatched Defenders, kind of like I fast forwarded through like most of Danny Rand stuff and uh, and half of the hand stuff, except when uh, the old lady is uh, walking around because I loved her. Uh, I think that. I still really like Luke Cage of the new Marvel stuff. And I like Jessica Jones and I like Daredevil. And I really love the clothes in Iron Fist. They, the costume department really, really hit it out of the park there. Great oh, outfits. Great outfits on Iron Fist. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I would like it. I just, again, I... I got so into Black Panther I saw four times and then Infinity War I was just kind of not fully marveled out but like giving the how many hours to how many episodes of Luke Cage and I wanted to be into it when I watched it I was like I want to wait till I'm like more excited to watch this so I feel about the second season of Luke Cage that it's okay that it's somewhere in between how good the first half of the first season is and how weird the second half is because they're like I feel like they with the first half of the first season you saw that they had a vision and an idea of how to progress the character greatly right and how to have the great antagonist and the second half they're like well we just need someone for him to punch yeah. <laughs> and we'll figure out the rest um, this feels like a mixed bag of that um, because they introduced the new villain um, Bushmaster, who, in an in an entertaining twist, is a Jamaican. So we have so many Jamaicanisms in the show that I find hilarious because I see where they tone things down, tone tone things down for America, uh. where they're like, uh, we we can't have him go full full Jamaican. <laughs> 
right? We'd have to put subtitles, and that's not okay, right? Um, Why not? Uh, They've got subtitles in uh, the other ones when people are talking a different language. Why not? It's it's the same thing where, like, I think I went and I saw um, The Harder They Come out here with, with Shane and Sasha, mm-hmm. and I went and I saw it at the Lightbox, and they had subtitles throughout that movie, and it, it's something that makes me laugh, and it's only because... I know what Jamaican Pato sounds like. I know how it, how I understand it. And I know that it's technically English, but I also know that other people don't understand it because it sounds like gibberish. Right? Um, so it's something that makes me laugh um, to see it there, but I also understand for the same reason why um, American cinema makes a lot of decisions about foreign cultures being sold to them, right, as to how to present them such that they don't feel like they don't feel like the audience has to put in that much work to understand the story. They just have to understand, oh, he's from there and move on. And that could be a debate about a lot of other things going on in the world. <laughs> but yeah, the the show in itself for me right now has become like the level of a CW show which I always that's not bad of, that's not bad which I've always kind of enjoyed it's had its good and its bad merits um I still think one of my favorite parts of the show at this point is the musical guest every episode I love that they've done this oh yeah um so there's one episode which it was so funny to me um Ghostface Killer is the musical guest. Oh, please. Thank um, you. All right, I'm in. That's it. That's all you had to say. But, but I realized that Ghostface Killer isn't as much of a name today, so they had to have a character in the show say, is that Ghostface Killer? And I was dying with laughter <laughs> to make sure that the world knew that was Ghostface Killer. <laughs> Just, I think Faith Evans performed at the club last season, uh, right? Yeah, 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 she was one of the early episodes, I think. Yeah, I was like, I know there's like a good contingent. I have no idea who this woman is, but I don't care. I'm living my best life right now. So, yeah, you know what? You're right. If they continue that whole musical guest thing, then I'd be down for that. Because they made some really fun choices for those. No, yeah, they're definitely rolling with that. Like, every episode I've seen so far has had the musical guest. And it makes me wonder, like, what's the process of that? Like... Who do they get and who do they have to be like, well, we have to give you a little bit more camera time so that everyone knows who you are and kind of goes like, yeah, that guy, I should probably look and see if he has a new album. And the other thing I do like about Luke Cage is, you know, they're realistic. He's a man who, you know, got out of prison. So he's going to have needs and stuff like he wants to get coffee a lot. So (laughs) (laughs) I love how we call it get coffee. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a little more so often, you know, your heroic character kind of issues all physical needs and desires in order to, you know, take care of their main objective or torture themselves until they're sucked into, you know, taking care of the main objective. And I feel like uh, the Luke Cage character, even when he was kind of a bit of a bit of a bore at the beginning of the first season, he at least sort of understands, I need to just be happy that my ass isn't in prison anymore and try to live in the world. So that's yeah. that's what I, I like about him. He's a little less um, removed from things emotionally, physically, 
spiritually, I guess, than the other defenders where your Matt Murdock has this whole, I can't tell anybody anything. Everybody knows who Luke Cage is. And it, it, in a way that is also very black because people will just know your business. So it's he like, actually makes a joke about that in the season that I thought was kind of awesome where someone was like, you should probably like disguise yourself or something. And he's like, look, dog, I'm, I'm six, three, I'm black and I'm like 300 pounds. Like who's not going to recognize me? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Although I guess in that way he is similar to Danny Rand, although no one would recognize him. And when he came back, he had to prove who he actually was. There's still he has this overwhelming desire to introduce himself to everyone as the immortal Iron Fist, which is kind of not a great look if you are trying to make sure other people in your life don't end up, you know, getting hurt, taken hostage, whatever, etc. So I guess that's another reason why Luke Cage and Iron Fist uh, hook up in the comic books and. I'm assuming in the shows again at some point because they have a similar approach to anonymity, which is nah, nah. They just want their name out there in them streets. They're just like, come at me. Yeah, yeah. I got a, I got a hard punch for you, and some unbreakable skin. They're fun. All right, I'll, I'll watch it, but I don't know if I'm going to watch it right away. I did watch Ant Man and the Wasp already uh, because. I think there's a whole generation of people, regardless of where you are in the spectrum or your gender, um, that still can't help but look at Paul Rudd as kind of the stepbrother we'd all like to get with from Clueless. So there is that, that Paul Rudd of it all, that he has maintained this level of just effortless charm and kind of like the guy who would be safe to you know, get drunk and fall asleep with because he seems like such a sweetheart. And so I really hope he doesn't end up on on the list of horrible things that men have done. But, you know, even if he does, I feel like the Paul Rudd of Clueless, I can put that in a, in a crystal or amber casing in my mind and keep him there. And Evangeline Lilly, who I still maintain uh, the time when she was on Lost and a lot of people were complaining about the K character, I think was just a precursor to some of the stuff we see happen now with women in uh, any kind of property that's vaguely, you know, nerd adjacent, where for some reason every single character on that show uh, made horrible choices every week, but the way the sort of beginning of the kind of internet and podcast culture came for Kate was extra aggressive, even though she's always been uh, fairly capable and useful. So I'm very happy to see Evangeline Lilly is uh, doing great stuff. They let Michael Douglas do a little bit more in this one. And uh, Hannah John Cammon is on a come up. And I also like that the Ant-Man movies are a little bit smaller and more separate from the whole big universe and it's very much uh similar to luke cage just a story of an ex-con who wants to live in the world but super white how, how much how much pena can i expect how much pena do you want because there's more I, obviously i want i want just more just enough that it never gets boring but more than i got in the last one well, then you will be happy. 
awesome. Yeah, yeah. They obviously understand that they had something there with uh, Louis' character that they need to use a little more of, uh, but the tone of the Ant-Man movies is already so light. Light and earthbound and not light sort of farce the way the Guardians movies are. That if you added too much more of Louise, uh, which I'm sure some out there may argue maybe there was, uh, it would be just too kind of, you know, sitcom almost. Like, you're, there are a couple moments with Louise, so you're almost, like, waiting for a laugh track. But I, I really enjoyed it. The only uh, challenge there is the other two characters in their little crew uh, don't get maybe as much airtime. But I'm sure those guys, T.I. and uh, the other actor whose name I always forget, I'm sure they're just happy enough to be in a Marvel movie. So, you know, there's worse things than only having a few lines in a Marvel movie. I mean, Agent Coulson was that guy for a long time. He got to be in like 20 of them. Yeah. Well, they have oh, a TV show and they have uh, a new sort of functionary uh, just a regular old FBI guy because, you know, S.H.I.E.L.D. is no more. So there is a fun kind of uh, government functionary that is running around after Scott Lang. And I won't spoil that for you, but you do get a lot of that character who is pretty funny. And I hope we see him in uh, more of the movies in the future. It's not uh, the Martin Freeman character, so I imagine the Martin Freeman character would have been busy in this timeline. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. When they reset the universe again after the next Avengers, uh, the Ant-Man movies, they've they brought in enough characters and they've kept it separate enough from everything else that they could do a lot or a little. They could keep doing these sort of more contained stories or they could take some of the new characters that they introduce in this one and expand their little world and still be outside of the whole is sort of, he's almost like above the defender level, but still below the Avenger level. Is it sad that I'm over here chuckling every time you use a size related word? Yeah. 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 It's uh, yeah. They keep it. They keep the story small. They do. I didn't even notice I was there, doing that. There we do it. There you do it again. I didn't notice <laughs> until you pointed it out that I was doing it. But yeah, I'd say it's enjoyable. And there are two end credit sequence. You only need to stay for the first. And I understand Marvel has now trained us to stay in our seats until the lights are up and people are sweeping under you. But you really only need to stay for the first one. That's actually awesome. hilarious because, like, I've gone to a few of these Marvel movies with friends and there's some who are like, no, we have to stay. And there's some who are like, I don't give a crap. I'm leaving. Um, Damien, one of my, one of my friends who never likes to stay for the credits, his, his view on it is if it's important enough, I'll see it on YouTube later. Um, yeah. and, and, uh, and he went to Infinity War, and the the theater staff literally were at the door telling him, like, no, there's more, you should stay, <laughs> um, as he was walking out, which he thought was hilarious. Um, but I've also had friends who, thanks to Marvel, almost every action movie they go to, they're, like, Googling to check, are there post credit scenes before they get up, which I think is ridiculous. <laughs> like, why has this done, why has Marvel done this to this world and why are people this dumb? <laughs> I, mean, I initially, I mean, when they first started doing it, it was kind of like, oh, that's, you know, you get a little extra 
uh, gives you something to be excited about, uh, then yes, it felt super manipulative. There's also been a few times when I've gone to VIP and I've foolishly had more than one drink and I just think, oh my God, my teeth are floating. I just want to pee right now. Uh, but I do sort of appreciate the fact that now people who work on the film, whose names are at the end, uh, at least when they work on a film for this company, and now really, to your point, anything in that kind of genre, the odds are greatly increased that people are still there. They're not looking at your name. They're still looking down at their phone and checking um, their text. But at least people stay till the credits now, where all the names of all the people who work on the film, uh, those appear, and it's their only chance to have their moment. So, yay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know because I like I couldn't tell you who the third stuntman on Spider Man was, but I've sat through those credits. <laughs> but his friends did, and when they went to see the movie, they cheered. And instead of it just being you know the third stuntman and you know his three or four friends there cheering in the theater, now everybody else is still there. I guess. Yeah. No, I know. It's, All, a, it's any, a real stretch. positive. It's a real stretch. <laughs> yeah, no. I, I was super... I My bladder was full and uh, had dinner reservations somewhere. I had dinner reservations half an hour away, and there was 20 minutes uh, between the time I was at and when the dinner reservations were. And I waited till the very, very end for a very unsatisfying second end credit sequence. You remember when those were like true surprises? Like the other day, Douglas told me he was watching one of his favorite films, um, A Knight's Tale, which he's seen a billion times. I love that movie. Um, yeah. Um, and he just like it finished and he got up, but left it playing and like went into the kitchen to do something. And then as time went on, he heard like sounds. It's like, oh, wait, there's a post-credit scene in this movie that I've seen a billion times? Or you remember when those were, like, straight-up surprises? Yeah. That we didn't know they were coming? And and I feel weird that that's what Marvel has, quote-unquote, manufactured and ruined, right? That it's no longer a surprise. It's now an expectation. There, I think there might have been one film recently where they actually didn't have, like, a post-post-credit scene and people were like, that's bullshit. And I'm like, really? Like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, oh, Wow, Night's Tale. That's a real... You've got a Marvel, you've got a DC, you've got a... Uh, whatever the Star Wars universe is in there with your Alan Tudyk, your Jarvis, and your uh, Joker... In uh, the form of Heath Ledger. Yeah, that movie was full of... And you've got a Game of Thrones in there. Who was in Game of Thrones from? Um, the... The guy who played the the king in the first season. Um, King Baratheon, I think his name is. Oh, right, yeah. (laughs) That was a great movie. Who was the one who played Shannon Sossaman's friend? Now I'm looking up. I haven't watched that movie in forever. I'm not as big a fan of it as Douglas. It's a fun movie. (laughs) Yeah, Shannon Sossaman. She's amazing. Great, great actress. I don't... For that time, I feel like if she'd been less kind of um, vaguely ethnic looking, she would have been in way more kind of rom-com type things. Yeah. 
Yeah. Possibly. And like not like, oh, oh, that's who she is. All right. Uh, the woman who played her friend, the one who would be passing messages back and forth, uh, was Bernice Bejot from, you may know her from such films as The Artist. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I was like, when I last watched it, the, I had another. She was in the past. I love that movie. Yeah, yeah. I like it when you know the the handmaiden type. Although I guess I need to come up with another term for that because I can't even deal with that show. It's too much like the real world right now. The handmaiden type has a has a blow up later on. Like you go back to the the questionable Star Wars movies and you see you know Keira Knightley as. Uh, you know, subbing in real life stand in for Natalie Portman. Yeah, I like it when those nameless number two servant characters later on blow up. It's always great. I haven't seen The Handmaid's Tale yet. Yeah, I don't, I can't recommend it. And not because it's bad, it's actually fantastic. It's just super depressing. I mean, that's like 80% of the movies on my top 10 every year, so. <laughs> Yeah. I was the guy who told told everyone go watch the Square and Thelma. <laughs> <laughs> you want a good time? Go see Thelma. <laughs> did you watch the Square? I did. I love that movie. Really? I didn't. I heard very uh, passionate reactions to it on both sides. Um, mostly, I, I guess, from the crew that we roll with, people liked it. So I just. There was something about it, and maybe it was just that the poster had, you know, a, a dude that looked very uh, aggressive, shirtless on a table. It just felt like a lot of a lot of testosterone. But I don't know. Maybe it was just like a marketing choice that I read too much into. Um, that movie is very special, um, and I feel you might really enjoy it, but you definitely have to be in the right mood because. It's a film basically about art, um, and it kind of pokes at a lot of things in the art world. And I, I interpreted it very much as a heavy criticism about um, society and in society. Um, so the premise of the movie is that it's about a guy who runs a, a um, contemporary art museum. Um, and like the picture of the guy on the poster, he's an he's a, a performer who performs as a like a gorilla, and like he has a big scene towards the end of the movie. Um, but this guy is just a guy who is like the worst person, right? And he is awful. And the, you just sit with him for the entire movie. Um, one of the opening scenes, like he gets his his wallet stolen, and. He, he just basically finds the worst way to answer every problem that comes to him. And it's, it's a movie where I don't really want to talk about everything that happens in it, but it is more than just testosterone. It is, it is testosterone criticized heavily in my mind, but it's also a very heavy movie to kind of get into. So I can understand if someone just generally wouldn't be into it sort of thing. Um, Especially if you're telling me things like, The Handmaid's Tale is depressing. I don't really want to go through that. I'm like, all right, cool. No, <laughs> no one needs to go through emotions they don't want to, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, more than, it's more than just 
the poster or anything like that, but it's definitely a very heavy film, um, especially coming from the director Ruben Ostlund, the guy who gave us Force Majeure. I don't know if you saw that. I love Force Majeure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I didn't find. I mean, being in uncomfortable situations with family is, you know, life, especially if your background is Caribbean. So I feel like. All of those super awkward family interactions weren't that uncomfortable for me. Like, it was uncomfortable, but it wasn't the same way it was for somebody who is or thinks they are from a more uh, functional family unit. It's strange to me that those are the things that will make me laugh in a movie. Or all of those uncomfortable moments where I get to see how this director, this writer imagined how those things would play out, whether it's from his real life or just him going like, all right, I created this uncomfortable scenario. How would I walk out of this problem? Right. And like, those are the things that will make me laugh uncontrollably in a theater (laughs) Um, because I see it and I'm like, I understand it's a movie. Like, this is hilarious. Like, who would have done this? Right. Um, And it's it's weird and messed up and it some of it you you end up walking out thinking about a lot of things about the world some of it i laugh because i'm an asshole (laughs) (laughs) deep down inside (laughs) and you see people you know shifting uncomfortably and being very like i don't want to look at the person i'm with first of all force majeure not a date not a great date movie just gonna say that see that maybe with your friends uh, that you're going to get a lot of uncomfortable questions in your post-movie uh, chit-chat if you see that with a date. Uh, I can't imagine... I would actually love to talk to somebody who saw Force Majeure on a first date and is still with that person. I want to find <laughs> that person. I want to talk to them. I have so many questions. Yeah. I wonder if it would be like... if one or the other person was just super honest and would say, yeah, I do exactly the same thing. And I'm not spoiling force majeure for you folks. I'm not saying the thing. I'm just saying it's not a good idea for a first date. If, if they both said to each other, yeah, I'd probably do the same thing as uh, that person in the movie. And they just realized, wow, we're perfect for each other. What's your worst date movie you've ever been on? Ooh. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I I tend to do at least some research for movies, so I've avoided uh, having seen something that's like a really terrible idea to see on a date. Uh, I did see Liar Liar. That wasn't like that bad. Uh, I did see... I did see... Hmm... A movie that was a little too on the nose when I went on a date with a white guy in high school and we saw The Bodyguard. And back then, <laughs> back then, a movie like that was kind of a big deal that they had any kind of romantic, even though they definitely downplayed it more than they would have today. Like, if that movie was made today, you'd have at least one or two steamy uh, scenes with the two leads and back then it was just like a huge deal that they looked at each other kind of longingly and I think did they even kiss once maybe near the end 
I've actually never seen that movie. I've just heard the soundtrack a billion times. Yeah, yeah. So I've seen movies that are like, I'd say that's a little weird, uncomfortable, but kind of funny, too. But And back then, there were just fewer movies out. So if you were going to see a date movie in that month, you probably went to see The Bodyguard. Yeah, so I'd say that would have been like my low-key, in retrospect, funniest movie date choice. What was yours? Um, in in that respect, I think the one that comes to mind is I went on a date with a young girl where I saw the Heartbreak Kid remake, the one with the the one with um, Ben Stiller. That was like must have been like ten years ago now or more. I don't remember. Um, it was awful. Whatever. Um, <laughs> but 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 what I was thinking about when I asked you because we were talking about all of these like don't watch Force Majeure. Um. This really wasn't a date night movie because this wasn't like going out. This was like a stay in movie night with a young lady. I we watched um, mm, the Paul Thomas Anderson film um, "There Will Be Blood," <laughs> which was a very interesting viewing experience. As like we were watching all of this cinema awesomeness that. I loved, but you know, I, I was just like, "Well, that's a good movie," you know. So you're not <laughs> you're not really making good and chill choices. No, like, you're really no, just focusing on the Netflix part of this. <laughs> <laughs> you could give a rat's um, ass about the and chill, or you were so like secure in your game that you're like <laughs> sure you'll convert regardless. Well, I mean, we had a good long relationship. It was early at that point, but. Put it this way, that night didn't quite end the way that many people want that story to end. <laughs> uh, I think I would want it to end with, thank you for a lovely evening, I'm leaving now. <laughs> I, I don't feel like, romantic, I, I don't feel what, like cuddling. What movie was that? That was not a romantic <laughs> evening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think, it, you know, it's kind of nice. You go tell your friends after, you know what? He really just loves film and wanted to share with me and really wanted to watch a movie. Yeah, that's hopefully what somebody thinks of that case and not that you're just weird and bad. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Yeah, so good to know. Good note. I guess that's now you're kind of telling people out in the world, if you invite them over to watch something... Uh, that's not necessarily conducive to romance, that that in no way gives any indication of your actual intentions for the evening. They can't read anything into it. You're not like high-fidelity mixtape guy where like every choice you're trying to convey something. You're just, no, I just want to see this movie. I just thought this movie's really good, and yeah. I want you to watch this movie. So we're going to watch Under the Skin tonight. Come on. Uh, <laughs> you always, you know I walked out of Under the Skin you people oh, I didn't know you were a big fan of Under the Skin. I walked out of it. It's one of the one of the few TIFF movies in years that I walked out of. I just was not I in the mindset. I love that movie so much. This is. I feel like I just don't understand it. Maybe it's where I was. I know that was one of the last years that I did a lot, a lot of movies, and not just you know thirty or so. Uh, but yeah, there was just I I stayed for the first half. And, yeah, just wasn't feeling it. That's one of the movies where I feel I didn't truly get it the first time I watched it. Like, I was seeing everything going on. I'm like, I don't, I don't really dig it. Like, it's 
whatever and there was a lot of mumbling like crazy irish accents where i'm like i don't think i understood what he said but i don't think that's important um it was one of those movies that when i came back to it like a year after that i'm like oh i i get it now and it's definitely also one of the few movies that i have where i'm like this is a movie i can only watch like once every three years like i can't put that on randomly (laughs) um uh, I, that's a movie that when I meet a new friend who's a big movie person who then tells me they haven't seen this movie, it gives me an impetus to watch that movie to kind of watch it with them. <laughs> uh, but they have to kind of give me the hint that they're like into that kind of shit before I throw that on. Oh, so you mean you don't just throw on Under the Skin for date night? No, no. I, as, I, I'll put it on for you for date night, but not not for... <laughs> <laughs> not, for, not for the the random the random date night no yeah this seems like a terrible terrible choice from what i remember the first half it seems like a spectacularly bad choice one time i was re-watching that movie and i was enjoying it and since it seems you didn't quite get past the first half there is a pseudo rape scene towards the back half of the movie oh fun um, can't believe i missed I that it, yeah i call it pseudo because it's definite that that's the action the person was attempting to take, but, but this is an alien, so it doesn't yeah, really work. <laughs> yeah, they didn't They didn't know who they were messing with. Right. Um, that sounds like and, something I would like, actually. And then someone showed up like as that scene began and was like, what are you watching? And they just ran away before they got to see like the result of the scene. <laughs> so their imagination of this movie for the rest of their life will be like, Andrew was watching a rape movie. What's what's wrong with him? <laughs> I think that's a fair assessment. Yeah. And and when you're feeling uh, just like giving yourself a bit of a hug on a Sunday afternoon, you watch Yankee Doodle Dandy. Oh yeah, that's what I was watching this morning. I love musicals. Like it's it's one of the things I truly enjoy. I I like they're always happying to me. Like I I love them. And Yankee Doodle Land is one of those that is known as like a famed classic, and I've never seen it. And I decided this morning to just chill and watch that movie for the first time. And boy, it's lovely. Um, it does the one thing I truly hate about watching really old movies, um, which is. Um, lots of racial things yeah Um, like like the thing about it with movies over the years is that as we all know social things have changed like there's some things that haven't changed all too much which is more troubling but there are some things that have changed a lot like say for example you're not gonna turn on a movie coming out in 2018 and see someone in blackface um but if you decide that you're the type of person who wants to go back and watch a film from the 20s, you might encounter it from time to time, right? Um, the, this movie, to me, like it has those things for like split seconds, and it's there, but it never revels in it. So there are other movies I've seen from this era that have like whole, whole scenes that like it... it it gets me at the core. I'm like, I don't think like, I love the musical part, but I don't think I can watch this movie again. Um, one of them for me, I think is swing time, which is a big musical classic that people love. Um, there are scenes in there where, um, some of the black actors where you can tell that the way things were handled, it just never feels right to see those scenes. 
Um, and in this movie, there are like one or two scenes with with like black actors who play like servants or stuff, and it's it's off putting, definitely. But it's so minute in the grand scale of the movie that, to be honest, I could edit it out and enjoy the movie, which is with these era of movies with those with those classifications of racial issues, which for those specific cases. We've mostly gone past that in movies, right? You don't see that level of shit anymore, right? There's other shit that we have that's dealt with in movies today, but not that. I think it's um, when it does slip through and you think, how many people's hands did this have to slip through to get there? And again, that's where you think, you know diversity matters in front of and behind the camera. And I'm not even saying you need to actually hire people of color or women. You just need at least one person that actually has a, you know, insert other here friend and doesn't just say they're their friend because they're their friends on Facebook, but they never actually listen to what they're saying. Because I think the example that, and you're right, it is jarring, but when you watch an older movie, you're kind of, like, braced for it. You're like, well, there's going to be some weird minstrel shit here for, like, ten minutes, and then we're going to keep it moving. Uh, in uh, the the Transformers movie, was it jazz and whatever? Like, the, the car that didn't talk and, like, breakdanced, and I was just, how the actual... Because this isn't just, like, a throwaway line by a human character. This required... Uh, somebody to write this and then a crap ton of CG and the previous positing like polygons like the whole situation like all of that had to come together to create that you know few moments of basically car as minstrel nonsense and I was just wow they really really the difference (laughs) the difference with that one that's just as bad obviously but the difference with that one is they put so much work into the entertainment of the transformers version that 80 percent of the population look at and look at it and go like i don't see anything he just danced like what's going on like yeah yeah which is sad in its own right yeah right (laughs) right but it's not the same thing as like going back to the 30s yeah <laughs> it, it, it does give you a bit of a, a plus change moment, though. It's like, yeah, this is still there. It's just not as overt. And I'm hoping, you know, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, somebody, well, actually, I hope nobody goes back and watches the Transformers movies 40 years from now. But if they did, they would be equally aghast that something like that. They, they would have rebooted it 30 times already and yeah. we wouldn't be watching this version anymore. Let's hope so. Although, you know what? Someone out there, that's their favorite movie. So apologies if that's your favorite movie. I just found that part and most of the other parts of it not that great. The Transformer goes through space, lands on Earth, and freezes because Earth is colder than space. Guys, Transformers doesn't make any sense. It's (laughs) bad. (laughs) That's a good note to end on the the tangent section. So uh, we're heading into what I call festival prep season. Although this year is a little different than others because uh, they're so thirsty for cash this year, they put the packages on sale earlier than normal. 
And also, we're still in this weird kind of purgatory state where Piers is still around, I guess, for this festival. But they promoted Cameron, but he's still not the only person on top. And it's only, I guess, the second year with our new Midnight Madness programmer. So I really have no idea what's going to happen this year. I bought my packages. Like, I'm going to see at least 30, probably. But I'm very unsure about what even... And normally, at this point in the year, you have some idea, even if they haven't done their big press releases yet, about what will be coming. Uh, But I don't know when those are happening. They usually have that on the TIFF site. But I'm just, like, not as excited. Except if Widows is there. Because that I really do want to see. And it's a Steve McQueen. And the odds of a Steve McQueen movie not opening a TIFF are pretty low. So that's the only one that if it's a TIFF. But then again, if they have Widows at TIFF, it'll probably end up being, like, super premium. And there may be only one public screening that... You know, Steve McQueen won't even still be in town for us so that he could scream at people in a Q&A. Well, Steve McQueen, I still think to this day he should have changed his name because that's cheating. Because <laughs> every time I heard it, I was like, what? Like, he's dead, isn't he? <laughs> no. You know, it took, a, took, took like a little bit because I heard it when Hunger came out. And I'm like, Hunger? Yeah. No, like Steve McQueen. What is this a film that's been sitting around for thirty years? What's Steve McQueen doing directing anything? And I learned, oh no, it's a different person. It's cheating. <laughs> I didn't know anything about him when I walked in a hunger, and I did it rush. And then you know I saw the subject matter of the movie, and I assumed it was probably just some you know pale you know British dude or irish dude directing that and then he comes out on stage and i was like well well look at me and my assumptions based on color it's so. actually like all of my f- damien actually did the same thing it wasn't until 12 years a slave won best picture that he actually found out steve mcqueen was a black guy <laughs> uh where people he just watched the movies and i'm like i love those movies right yeah and then and then everyone was like, but you have to love it because he's black. And you're like, what's he talking about? He's black? <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to love his movies because he's the grumpiest, craziest director in a Q&A ever. He's just so mean. I love it. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. Watching him yell at people when they ask dumb questions in a Q&A it really gives me life. In the middle of a long week of watching movies, it's sometimes I, I feed off his uh, derision and disdain it's really delicious yeah it's so good so good but yeah like except for widows i'm not super hype about anything this year how many do you think you'll see um i don't know definitely a really low number helped by i'm a student right now so (laughs) you know um waiting to hear news of September to come um, to see how my life will look in the next two months. Um, But I don't know. I'll definitely see as much as I can. Um, I'm thinking of getting like a 10 ticket pack. Maybe I'll rush some, but we'll see what my schedule and my life looks like in September when it comes around. Interesting. Is there like a student price? Um, I haven't researched it too heavily. I, I don't know. Um, but, like, the thing is, uh, right now, uh, I'm, <laughs> it's weird to talk about this on the recording, um, I'm, like, looking actively for work for September, so we'll see if something happens, right? Oh, <laughs> yeah, because then 
it'd be hard to just start a job and be like, I'm a, I'm a peace out for 10 days to watch movies. Right. Which is why I'm thinking that even if I do it, like I'll do a low number, like I'll, I'll, I'll hit everyone up on the weekends. You'll see me, you'll see me one night randomly being like, Oh, you're here. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. Yeah. I don't think they have special prices for students. It's just expensive and more expensive. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Good to know they're, they're consistent. Yeah. Yeah. They have the weekday daytime, which doesn't help, especially if you are either in school or working. And then there's the back half, which is, you know, six tickets for $105. Great savings come to those who wait. So you can choose from film screening September 12th to 16th. And you do get to redeem your individual pack before ticket day. But I think back half packages, your window for picking those movies is like way later. Like even if you buy them as a member, I feel like one year I tried to do like a beefing up my package with a back half patch. And I think I actually had two different windows for ticket selection or something weird. Because even though I had like, you know, a 10 flex or like a couple of 10 flexes, they don't let you do your back half, or at least they didn't used to at the same time. Like they put you back in steerage. So you have like your, your earlier window based on whatever your membership is. And then you have to wait until later in the cycle to redeem your back half. But I'm more curious about you because you're talking about like what you're hyped for. Like obviously like widows is like, I've seen the trailer. Like I'm looking forward to it because on top of it being a Steve McQueen movie, it's a, it's an action film that looks badass. Uh Right. Um, but at the same time, like that's a film that without Tiff, you'll see it in November without a problem. Um, but, and, and the thing I've always told, um, people like Ryan, whenever I'm here for TIFF and they're asking like, what are you seeing? Like, I've always made it a a passion of mine that all of the TIFFs I've done, like I always force myself to do something different. And for you who who are here for every year of TIFF and you're doing it, what is it that, 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 that pushes your, your film selection generally when you're looking at what you want to pick up? Well, I have my list of criteria. I still will see things if I if I start to become ride or die for a filmmaker, and I do fall off people, uh, then I will see their movie regardless. Like when I saw Thank You for Smoking, I didn't even realize walking in that movie who Jason Reitman's dad was, and I just really liked it. Then you know by the time Juno and Up in the Air come, it's like. Well, you're going to see these movies anyway, but I already, like, really liked what this kid did, and I liked the way he was. He was also great at a Q&A, completely opposite personality-wise. Uh, he's, like, just so happy to be there and sharing every detail and bringing half of, like, the people who made the movie up on stage with him. So I just thought, I like this kid, I like his movies, I'll go see them. And then as he became increasingly more popular, it did seem less and less logical. But the reason I picked his movie the first time was because he fell in that list of, like, this looks like an interesting story to me. So I do get the program book. I still get the physical program book, even though you can read about them on the website, uh, which is usually super crashy the first couple days anyway, after they release the schedule. And we love website crashes. Tiff uh-uh. should hire me so I make sure the website doesn't crash this year. They need a lot. They need a lot of help. But yes, they should hire a lot of people to help keep that thing running. And I also have, you know, my list of other criteria where 
Um, is it a movie picked by a certain programmer? Uh, Jane Schotel being my number one. Uh, is it a movie that has somebody with some kind of other, you know, ideally in that, you know, director writer uh, corner in the program book, like behind the camera as well is great. Uh, is it a movie that doesn't have uh, North American or international distribution yet, uh, which you can tell from if they list a sales agent or not, or a distributor or not. And then, and then I do because I do see 30 movies and it is hard to build a schedule. And every year, especially as they add more and more premium shit, it's harder to build a schedule that doesn't have you running around the city like a crazy person if you want to see more than two movies in a day. You know, sometimes I fill a hole with, I'm going to say comfortable trash or uh, something that, yeah, it's probably coming out soon. I do try to not pick anything that's opening any earlier than late November and even then. Uh, I do like seeing things where, you know, a year and a half later, it's finally coming out in theaters and I feel like a real movie hipster, like, oh, I saw that at the festival. But uh, yeah, it's a mix. And when you see 30, I feel like you've got room to see something like Widows. Uh, But I'm not seeing Widows just because Widows looks awesome. I'm also seeing Widows because of the experience I had walking into shame uh, and hunger where, you know, nobody really knew that much about him as a filmmaker but I went to, you know, those movies and like had a experience and was visually entertained and was emotionally moved and was entertained and the performances were great. Cool. Oh, ow. I just hit my ankle. Um, <laughs> um, the, I think the thing I always look for, like I, I'm a sucker for the midnight package. I'm, I'm sad to, I was here with Collins last year. I'd love to hear how that program has changed because that would usually be my default where I'm like, I'll just buy a midnight package and just watch those. <laughs> um, cause as much as I've never been a ride or die horror person, I just kind of love, I love the experience of that midnight crowd and the films that they'll bring out. Um, the the rest of me is about seeing the the auteurs I love. So the last TIFF I came to, I saw the Werner Herzog film, and it was a joy to see Herzog in person to talk. Um, Which one? The movie. volcano one? The volcano film. Yeah. yeah. I saw the volcano doc here. Um, I saw both volcano ones. The, the <laughs> volcano doc that was way better than the uh, fictional volcano story that I believe he only did in order to help finance the volcano doc. Always watch the docs first with, yeah. with Herzog, yeah. right? Um, and I think my crowning moment so far, TIFF has been the last one I came to. I made the decision, as I said, to do something different. I, I decided to pick up a ticket to one of the in-conversations, and I went to the one for Zhang Ji. Um which was pretty awesome. And my favorite part about it was at the end, she decided she wanted to do um, pretty much like a trivia competition in the crowd. No. Um, where she was like, I'm going to ask you guys questions. I brought this thing and whoever answers gets a thing. Right. And like, I was afraid at that point that she was going to ask like dumb, discreet questions, which were like, what movie did I do in 1995? But no, she did what I would do which is pepper the audience with, you want to answer my question? Cool. What's the worst movie I've been in that you've seen? Tell <gasps> me now, please. <No. laughs> 
No. And it was it was beautiful. Like I adored every part about it, oh including including being in the line to go in and seeing. Obviously, it's something I notice a lot coming to the festival that when I pick to go and watch esoteric Asian films, that the crowd is ninety percent Asian. Um, yes. Right. Um, so going to this movie where pretty much everyone walking this this event and seeing pretty much everyone is Asian, seeing these people come out with like luggage cases of camera equipment, right? Expecting to go in and take the greatest photo shoot and have security just be like, no dog, no, none of it. <laughs> and me just laughing my head silly because at the, like, as much as I love um, photography and camera work, there's a part of my life where I'm like, I don't think I need to photograph everything every single second, which I... I find hilarious about people in general with technology. Um, but I've just gone through around four different topics in 30 seconds, so I think we're good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, remember stuff with your eyes and ears. Just, you know, put it in the old actual physical hard drive. Allow memories to degrade and have fun watching them turn from you from you um, watching someone score an incredible goal to you being the person who scored the goal 20 years later. Right. Or earlier, depending on your mental state. Yeah, I think of the the whole experience, there are those moments that even when I'm building my schedule, I never know what movie I'm going to have a moment like that in until it happens, you know? Like... In conversation with the last one I went to, I think was the one with Chris Rock, the year that he had good hair here. Um, so that in conversation with was really great. And there were a lot of a lot of black auntie types in the crowd. Again, the diversity of Toronto, you sort of see the slices in sharp relief uh, in the different lineups. You can kind of figure out what the movie's about. If you look at if you really look at the lineup, sometimes it's based on age or background or what you identify as and yeah it's definitely i feel like the crowds that are the most just like a regular toronto street sidewalk those are the ones where it's like more the generic hollywood fair it's coming out soon and a lot of the other ones you get more of a hard um line that shows these people showed up for this movie and it always amazes me like that whole line about, oh, I hope this movie finds an audience. And you watch that happen over and over again for a week in September here in Toronto. These movies find their audience somehow, and yet so many of the ones I've enjoyed the most, they don't actually get a big release. I would say Meditation Park probably had a crowd similar to the one that was at your uh, In Conversation With. And I love that movie, and the crowd loved that movie, but I've heard almost nothing about it since. And I thought it was great. I think it's a misunderstanding of the phrase, um, I hope it finds an audience. Movies will find their audience. The, the issue is that people like us want these movies to keep being made. So what we really want is for the movie to make a crap ton of money so that the, the financiers will be like, all right, let's make five more of these so that they make five more. But the sad truth is it only finds the audience that it looks for and it will find that audience, whether it's, 10 years later, what it used to be video now is um, on demand or um, streaming rights. And theaters need to take more risks. As someone who lived in Jamaica, where the theater only has five screens and all they're going to be playing is whatever Marvel releases and not the 
not the other more interesting films that people don't know they want to watch. Well, right? they, they might play uh, Grace Jones, Bloodlight, and Bammy. That might be. <laughs> when I was in Jamaica the other weekend, I went and I watched um, Breaking In, the new Gabriel Union film. Oh. Um, which, to me, was a bad movie, but the crowd enjoyed it. Right, it, like I like I I went with a, a female friend, and she turned to me when the movie was over, and she's like, "You were laughing throughout the whole of that movie." <laughs> I found it hilarious to see this bad thriller action movie, but I mean, it is what it was advertised to be, and the people who went to it sincerely wanting to enjoy that movie enjoyed the movie, yeah. right? Um, and like that's the way I always view these things. These things equal themselves out it's the the result of the phrase is just what we really expect and realistic thoughts of the world (laughs) yeah yeah there there are movies that are bad but i've enjoyed them maybe not the way it was intended but uh at least i had an experience at least i had a reaction i think that's the thing where if you're not even having a reaction, that's probably the most um, depressing thing. At least they took a swing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, Gabrielle Union was pretty much a ninja at some points in that movie, so hey. Well, she she was a, a trained elite cheerleader, right? So That is true. Let's remember, Isis from the Clovers would 100% be able to do all kinds of flips and nonsense if, if it was required to save her children. Yeah, yeah, you're not not thinking about it the right way. So uh, for this year, I guess for you, since you have a limited amount of movies that you think you're going to see, you'll have to be more discerning with your choices than me, who does fill my holes with trash. Just just see me at midnight if I'm there. Yeah, (laughs) I will say, uh, while I may not entirely be on board with the new cat sensibility, there were at least a couple of movies last year that gave me that call-in feeling, including Revenge. I believe that one may be out on other uh, venues right now. Uh, I don't even want to give you much of the plot because it starts off and you think, oh, this is sort of, you know, grindhouse exploity, whatever, and then it takes a real turn and stays there for a while, like... That's another thing. The length of the movie, the running time, it's an hour and 48 minutes. So uh, you get to the turn, and I didn't notice the passage of time leading up to there. And then after there, I was just fully strapped in and enjoying it. But that movie, I I feel like, like I saw it a second or third screening at the end of the week. I didn't see it at midnight. And that was probably the movie that I missed calling the most because... It's not just the experience of watching that, but imagining what his intro would have been like for that movie. Uh, he did great intros. Like he was such a great hype man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I still remember. Um, why can't I? I, I want to say his name though. Um, Bobcat Goldthwait. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> just it was just tearing into me because I, I said something during his intro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were making chit chat. You were paying attention in class. 
uh, yeah, I was paying attention in class, and it, it it was my bad. But hey, it was it was a fun laugh for me because you know I find that that shit funny. Well, I mean, and that's the thing with comedians—they're good at you know tearing into an audience member. So you got to watch out if a former comedian is the director of the film you're watching, just hands and arms inside the vehicle. I remember Bobcat at uh, Let Sleeping Dogs Lie. He was just very excited to be back in the city so he could go buy some uh, Degrassi merch. Original Degrassi is what he was a fan of. I believe maybe also next year, but definitely original Degrassi, like Joey Jeremiah and that crew. Bobcat's weird. It took me a long time to realize that the voice in in um, Police Academy isn't Bobcat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope he's still making movies. His movies are also, the, both of the movies that I saw of his at the festival were quite a surprise and quite good. So I hope he's still doing stuff. Maybe if he has something coming. He's another guy that his movie would probably be a tiff if he, if he did have another one coming out. I don't know what he's up to now. I felt a lot of people were very, very questionable about God Bless America, even though I remember liking it a lot when I saw it. More questionable than Sleeping Dogs? <laughs> like, I mean, I feel like, if anything, he was uh, going a little safer than that other one. I never did see Sleeping Dogs. Oh, it's something. Yeah. I liked it. Oh, I'm reading the synopsis on IMDb now. I'm like, oh, that sounds like Bobcat. Yeah, yeah. It was great, though. Yeah. But, yeah, very, um, yeah. Yeah. And when I go, oh, yeah, Bryce Johnson, who's sort of like a proto-Army Hammer, and uh, Melinda Page Hamilton, who I thought was great in that, and I feel like I don't see her in enough stuff. Although, I guess she was also in God Bless America, so... Uh, a regular uh, person in the Bobcat universe. I do dislike the idea of a Bobcat universe. But yeah, she was great. I think that Bobcat, it's a very specific sensibility, and you kind of got to go into it knowing that he's going to take chances. You will have a reaction. Yep. Yeah. I, I wonder what he has next, if he has something next. I hope he has something coming up, but it doesn't look like he's... Oh, wait, there's a couple of... Oh, a documentary and a TV movie are both in post-production. But it doesn't look like there's a feature that would be coming up in time for TIFF unless his IMDb isn't up-to-date. Unless it's a secret. Yeah. He, he just appears. They're like, unknown opening film of, of Midnight Madness. And they're like, what the hell's going on? And everyone shows up and Bobcat's there. He's like, hey, guys. Ah. Publish. It's now on IMDb. Here, watch it. <laughs> So, bonus question that we didn't prep for. Um, if they do a live read again this year, what movie would you actually consider going to watch a live read of if they had it? Oh, wow. That's a long list of I don't know. Um, the I just have to be random and say, hey, let's do Billy Elliot. Oh, oh, my God. That would be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a movie that most dudes cry at. I think it's the whole dad-son thing. I love that movie so much. That It is a beautiful movie. I wonder if their, their rules for the live read is it had to have played at TIFF 
at some point. Uh, if so, I if Widows is coming this year, I'd kind of want a live read of another Steve McQueen movie. Maybe not 12 Years a Slave. Maybe Hunger. Hunger. <laughs> a live read of Hunger. Just a live read of people just... Z- z- no, they'd have to lose like a full stage play because there's like half of that movie is just people quiet. <laughs> As they smear shit on walls. Yeah. 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 There'd have to be live shit smearing if for a live read. <laughs> Who would be the shit smearer? I think we could... uh, We'd have to cast someone like Jesse Plemons. Oh, yeah, he'd be amazing. (laughs) I think he'd really get into it, too. Yeah, okay, there we go. Great ideas (laughs) for a live read. Uh, I'm getting more excited, although, again, the build-up starting so early with them selling the tickets so early... It's hard to sustain that level of hype. I kind of feel like by the time we actually get into knowing what films are coming and selecting them, I'll be like, meh. But maybe I could uh, hassle you over the internet for uh, some picks that I will inevitably end up walking out of if I actually go to see them based on your sensibility. Always depressing. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean... And I think that's the other thing. You you do respond to your environment right now in 2018. My tolerance for, like, super, super depressing is a little lower just because, you know, reality. Uh, so that's another thing where um, even some of my smaller choices last year, like public school or Don't Talk to Irene, I knew those would be funny, funnier and lighter. So I wouldn't have that same kind of what was me feeling when I left or even something like Death of Stalin, which takes a ridiculous political situation, turns the turns the jokes up to 11. It sort of helped you uh, recontextualize what was happening in the real world in another way and helped you imagine uh, some of the current world leaders going through a similar scenario, and that lets you smile a little bit. But yeah, so I, I will be maybe looking for one or two picks or what really jumps out at you, but based on what you really like, I might not actually select them they might go in my (laughs) they might go in my maybe rush pile if i need something yeah um but i'm a i i'm an enigma i I like everything i just i just have crazy it's the it's weird because like as we talked about like i love musicals i love happy things i love ridiculous comedies one of my favorite movies are stripes Mm -hmm. which is ridiculous right yeah um Blazing Saddles. I watch that once a year. Right? We we saw La La Land at the same time. Yeah, we did. Yeah. I, oh, I love that movie. Um, and I love that it saved jazz. And I'm going to keep saying that because it's so dumb. Right? <laughs> um, so much so that when they posted the trailer for his newest film, the what is it? The the space movie, the movie about Neil Armstrong. Um, Douglas actually texted me and said, what is this man making a movie without music in it for? (laughs) (laughs) And I responded to him, he already saved jazz, he can't do it twice. He's like, but he he hasn't saved it on the moon yet. And I'm like, all right, I'm done. (laughs) Damien, you have to go and save jazz on the moon. (laughs) That's what that movie is from now on in my head. That actually Um, sounds like a good movie. Um, I love ridiculous stuff, but at the end of the day, I'm also the guy who, when I sit down to watch a Lars von Trier film, I, I 
get into the seriousness of it, and I, I, I adore his film um, Breaking the Waves, right? Because that's a different kind of thing, and um, but yeah, like. I don't know. I always, I'm always wrestling with those two sides of me as to the movies I love and what movie I'd actually pick to watch at TIFF. Sometimes I'm like, I think this year I picked too many depressing films. Uh, but yeah, I try to mix it up. Right? Yeah. Yeah, there is that. You need, you need diverse in your picks too. You can't go all like big bummer movies. You can't go all, you know, La La Land, Colors and dancing and you know bell kicks you need something to kind of work you through the week so uh definitely unless you're doing the straight midnight packet even within the midnight madness at least you know colin would program kind of a mix of things throughout the week where you'd have you know your more weird stuff your more jumpy scare stuff your you know body horror like it wasn't all one thing so yeah, I think that uh, I'll definitely continue to do that. That is something I do, and that is often what I do to make choices in my schedule if there's a tiebreaker. So if I have something that's probably going to be a bummer, like uh, last year when I saw In the Fade, and I knew that one would be heavy, I scheduled what I thought would be not as depressing a documentary, but I didn't know that much about Sammy Davis Jr.'s life. Uh his life was actually super depressing, so that day was was a real bummer. But then I ended up finishing with Meditation Park, which was uh, just, a, just like a hug from, you know, somebody's Asian parent when you go to their house in Scarborough during Chinese New Year. Like, that was kind of what that movie felt like. It was great. And I was just headed. listening to Malcolm Gladwell talk about Sammy Davis Jr.'s life. Yeah. Interesting. It was a real bummer. Real bummer. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they centered it all around the the Nixon relationship, and it was like, like I mean, I knew yeah. a decent amount. He was about, the original Kanye. Yeah, um, I knew a decent amount about Sammy Davis and the shit, and but man, like rough. <laughs> but you think of that guy's life and what he saw and what he experienced and you know to him there probably wasn't any difference between democrats and republicans it was just all you know questionable people and questionable people who did questionable things but at least they were okay with him personally even though they may still do questionable shit i'd recommend you go and give that podcast a listen um he if you don't listen to malcolm gladwell's podcast it's called revisionist history he did an episode recently about sammy davis and it was a very interesting listen um of people kind of him trying to contextualize and be like well people love to criticize sammy davis because of this thing and obviously in the social context you wouldn't think it was the best decision but thinking about sammy davis as a human being like i can understand why he did it right yeah Absolutely. And he needed work as well. Like his whole financial situation was a real mess too. So there was that as well. He couldn't turn down, you know, gigs or access. He didn't have that kind of bank. He was terrible with his money. Yeah. Well, we'll end on that cheerful note. Uh, I'll be reaching out probably uh, pre-festival to find out what you picked. So I'm really interested to see if we have any overlaps. 
Uh, the fact that we talked about all this heavy stuff, but the last time I actually saw a movie with you, I think, was La La Land. And I think the time before that was Midnight Madness. So heavens only knows uh, what we would actually both end up picking to see. That would be on both of our schedules. But I'm sure it'll be... Hopefully it saves jazz. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. It, and if it it doesn't save jazz, at least hopefully it can be involved in yet another questionable Oscar night episode. <laughs> what could dream? If he gets if he actually almost had a winning movie twice and somebody fucks up twice and that happens to him, then I would finally forgive them for the shaft that the Moonlight people got. Because that shouldn't have happened to either one of those movies. But if it happens to him twice, I'd kind of be okay with it. I want it to happen just as a running joke for the rest of his career. That they just keep doing it to him. Yeah. And and progressively he gets more and more frustrated on stage. And one time he just goes on, but I saved jazz. <laughs> <laughs> and the camera will inevitably cut to Ryan Gosling in the audience laughing as he covers his mouth. Oh, so good. Yeah. Yeah. I just want I just want ridiculous shit to happen in this world that we can all laugh at. That's all I want. That's all we need. <laughs> well, that's all we need. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And thank uh, you for inviting me. Yeah, and uh, I'll see you in a lineup in either sweaty, cold, wet, or it could be all of those in one day uh, September uh, during TIFF 2018. Cool.